Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Well, like Jake said, uh, I I think I recognize almost every face here this morning, but if I haven't met you, my name is Sean, um, and I just get the awesome blessing uh, of getting to share with you this morning. Uh, We've been going through the book of John, and most of you, if you're involved in a small group here at the Vessel, have been doing the same, going through John uh, with your small group. You've been hearing about it here on Sundays. And we're coming up today to wrap it all up with the end. And I just feel super lucky and blessed to be able to close this series out that we've been in for the past 10 weeks. Um, We started out with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, this big universal language. And we end the story of John today with eight guys eating breakfast on the beach. So I think it's fitting that we all kind of got close. Uh, And I think that's the... In the macro sense, that's the story of the gospel, right? The God of the universe came and came close to us uh, when we couldn't get to him. So before we go into the story this morning, I'm going to pray again and just invite the Holy Spirit to open our hearts for what he has for us. Heavenly Father, ah, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship that we just had um, where we recognize our need for you where we recognize um, that you're all we want. That even in moments where maybe we believe lies, um, that other things will satisfy us, the truth is we just really want you. We need you. So um, this morning, Lord, open up your word to us. Allow the words that were recorded in your scripture to be alive and transform us, to change us, to follow you more closely and to know you more deeply. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So a quick little recap of where we've been. Like I said, we've been doing the whole book of John, and we've been talking about Jesus inviting people to come and to see. Uh, He sees people on the fringes. We've seen him invite people who are cast away or a little bit more on the outside edge. We saw it with the Samaritan woman, the sick people that Jesus heals, the disciples that Jesus calls. We also have seen him uh, invite the teachers of the law, the religious elite, the officials uh, to come and see. And some of them, like Nicodemus, wanted to lean in and learn, and others wanted to butt heads with him because he was upending their power structure and the thing that they've built their influence around. And so we've been going through this story as Jesus has gone around and done miracles and taught about the kingdom of God and how God desires for us to love him and to love others. And Jesus has been walking with this group of disciples. There's been a large group of people who have been around following his teaching, learning, growing, uh, changing who they are and more reflective of who Jesus is. And even more than that group of disciples was a specific group of 12. And we've probably seen them poking their heads out at different parts of the story. We've talked about a few of them. But there's this group of 12, we call them the apostles, that were kind of the core group of Jesus. They were around him all the time. He used them more frequently. He used them to send the gospel out into the villages before Jesus would get there. And this group of 12, they've been with Jesus and they know him well. There is one specific apostle and his name is Peter. 
And again, we've heard his name. We've seen him pop up a few different times. If you guys have read the Gospels before, you've seen Peter. Sometimes he's also called Simon. So if you look in there and you see Simon, that's also Peter. It's the same guy. And today we want to look at the story of Peter because the end of John, there's a poignant story about how Jesus personally pursues Peter and redeems him from his own brokenness. But to understand the story that we're going to go through, that's in John 21, we actually have to go back to understand a little bit more of who Peter is. And to understand this story, we're actually going to go to the Gospel of Luke. So if y'all have Bibles, uh, go to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We can get one to you. Uh, We'd love to give you guys a Bible. You can take it home if you don't have one. Um, And we're going to be bouncing around a little bit. So we're starting in Luke 5 today. And this is the story of Peter being called into ministry with Jesus. It's where Peter starts out. Um, This is right after Jesus begins his public ministry, and he goes and he's finding disciples. And so it's on the screen as well. Uh, John, I mean, sorry, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So a little context with that, Peter knows of Jesus. Jesus has actually healed his mother-in-law. He's been going around the countryside teaching people. So Peter knows of Jesus, but he hasn't really personally interacted with Jesus very much. Jesus is actually speaking into Peter's reality. Peter is a fisherman by trade. He's been doing it his whole life. His family's probably been doing it for generations. He knows fishing really well. And so when Jesus gets into his boat and says, hey, let's go catch some fish, Peter's like, I'm a fisherman, you're the carpenter turned teacher. But he knows enough of Jesus to be like, okay, this guy's got some authority, we'll try it out. The story continues in in verse six. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they filled both boats so full they began to sink. Then Peter, Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats onto the shore, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus takes Peter's expertise and he throws it out. Jesus, the carpenter turned teacher, is a better fisherman than Peter was who's been doing it his whole life. And Peter, in an instant, realizes that this is something way above his understanding. That Jesus is outside of the boxes that he's built in his life. The ways that he understands things. The kind of the fuller word that we may hear around church is the word holy. Peter realizes that Jesus is holy. He is other. He is something unexplainable. He is outside of what Peter can understand and grasp. And in the understanding of that holiness, Peter understands his drastic contrast to Jesus. 
He understands that he's sinful and broken and probably shouldn't be around this guy. This guy, Jesus, is so incredibly powerful and good, and obviously God is moving through him. I should get away from this. I'm not worthy. I'm broken. I'm sinful. If I stay near this guy, that's going to be exposed, and I'm going to be in trouble. And Jesus' response to Peter saying, get away from me, I'm sinful, I'm broken, is Jesus says, perfect, I can use that. Come follow me. You see, all of us are broken. All of the people back then were broken and sinful like Peter was. What Peter expresses there, though, is honesty. He understands his brokenness. He sees it for what it is. He knows that he's not worthy. And Jesus says, that's what I need. I need you to be humble and understand that you're broken and sinful. Come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So then Peter begins to follow Jesus in his ministry, and we can see all the different stories that we've talked about in the Gospel of John, and the other Gospels record them as well. All of the miracles and all of the teaching, Peter's there. He's involved. He sees it. He's an active actor in it. He actually starts to become the leader of these apostles, He's the one who sits next to Jesus. He's the one who's closest to Jesus. When Jesus calls and does different things, he brings Peter along. So we're going to fast forward back into the book of John, uh, John chapter 13. After all of this ministry, and that's John chapter 13 starting in verse 36, as you guys begin to flip. Jesus has done all of this ministry with Peter, and this brings us back to where Jake was two weeks ago at the Last Supper. The end of Jesus' ministry is coming near. He knows this, and so he goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast, this Jewish festival, and he goes and he has this dinner with these disciples. And Jake taught us about how Jesus washed their feet. This is that same dinner where Jesus is teaching them about the kind of the last things that Jesus wants to tell them before he goes and to love each other and to care for each other. And he begins to pretty clearly talk about how he's going to go away, how he's going to die, how he's going to lay down his life. And in this verse, uh, John chapter 13, verse 36, we see Simon kind of interacting with this. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me, Peter? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter's a very passionate guy. And we've talked about, Jake talked about it, and you've probably seen it as you've read through John with your small group. Peter puts his foot in his mouth all the time because he's passionate and he just goes for it, gung-ho all the way. But in this moment, he's kind of relying on his own understanding. He's forgotten about his brokenness, about the reality of that he's a sinful man and to live in that humility. And instead, he kind of self-promotes. Jesus, I'm your guy. I'm going to be with you to the end. That's me, Peter, right here, right next to Jesus the whole way. I got you. And Jesus knows Peter. Jesus knows Peter better than Peter knows himself. You see, when Peter said he was a broken and sinful man at the beginning of the story, Jesus already knew that. It didn't surprise Jesus. It didn't go, Jesus didn't go, oh yeah, you know you're right. Jesus knew. 
And in this moment, Jesus knows still. He still knows Peter. He still knows that Peter is broken and sinful. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows exactly what Peter is going to do. And so we get to see that actually happening. After this dinner, Jesus takes his disciples out to a garden to pray. And Judas Iscariot, the character we've seen earlier in other times, he betrays Jesus and brings the religious leaders. They come and they arrest Jesus with the intent to kill him. So as they're taking Jesus away, Peter takes out a sword and he chops off a servant's ear. Again, foot in his mouth, super passionate guy. That's not what Jesus is intending. He's not intending for war. He's not intending for a fight. So he gives himself up freely. And as a result, the disciples scatter. They run away. They don't want to be arrested with Jesus. They don't want to be killed. But Simon, Peter, and a couple of the other disciples kind of follow at a distance. And so we see in John 18, verse 15 through 18, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. And that's them following at a distance. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. And skipping ahead to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, aren't you one of his disciples too? Are you? He denied it. I am not. One of the high priest's servants, the relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Some of the other gospels tell this story and it ends with Peter weeping. You see, it's exactly like Jesus said it would happen. Peter's gung-ho, I'm with you to the end. I will die for you, Jesus. Totally denies Jesus. Oh, no, I don't know this guy. Never seen him. No, I'm just here, just staying warm. And then the rooster crows, and he realizes Jesus was right. I denied him. I'm broken, and I'm sinful, and I'm unworthy. At the core, Peter chose himself over Jesus. Peter was afraid of death. He was afraid of persecution. He was afraid of everything that Jesus was walking into willfully. And Peter said, ah, and he chose himself instead. He chose his will over God's. So again, and sorry for so many fast forwards, we fast forward over Easter, which is a little weird to do in church, so forgive me. Jesus is taken, he is beaten, and he is crucified and killed, which is a public execution meant to inflict maximum pain and humiliation by the Romans. And Jesus dies alone on a cross, and Peter was not even there. Peter wasn't even there to see it. He completely abandoned Jesus. And they take Jesus down from the cross and they bury him. And most of us know this story, I hope, Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. 
And these women who were disciples of Jesus go to the tomb. They find the tomb empty. Jesus is no longer there. And Jesus actually appears to these women and says, look, you're looking for the dead, but I'm alive. I'm here. And they go back and they tell the disciples and the disciples don't believe them. And eventually the disciples, they lock themselves in this room because they're afraid of the Romans. They're afraid that they're going to come kill them too. That they took care of Jesus, now they're going to come get the disciples. So they're hiding, afraid. And Jesus appears in the middle of them and says, hey, it's okay. I'm alive. After those two times, you notice that Jesus appeared to people, the women, and then he appeared to the group. But he hasn't interacted with Peter. We don't see in that story, those stories that Peter is an active agent in necessarily talking with Jesus in those moments. It's all kind of a group thing. And you've got to imagine Peter's wrestling with some tension at that point, right? Oh, no, Jesus is back. Like, yes, I'm so excited. And then also at the same time, shoot, I screwed up. It all worked out. My fears didn't come true. I should have followed Jesus. So we go to John chapter 21, finally, the last book of John, where we'll be camping out for the rest of the morning. Last chapter, thank you. Uh, John 21, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. Peter goes back to what he knows. He's a fisherman. Jesus has appeared and he's risen, but Peter probably doesn't really know what to do, right? Is he disqualified from being a part of this group anymore because he's denied Jesus? Is he qualified? Is he, what's, what's he do? I'll go back to fishing. That's a place I can control. Remember, that's his expertise. I can go back to fishing. And you also got to imagine there's this other character who denied and betrayed Jesus, Judas. And Judas is the villain, right? Judas is the guy we look at and you see in the Gospels, whenever they say Judas, it says in parentheses, the one who betrayed Jesus. That's his title, right? Like Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Peter knows what Judas did. All of the disciples know what Judas did. And at this point, Judas has actually killed himself out of guilt for what he did. But you have to imagine Peter is also wrestling with these things. Man, yeah, Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Now am I, Peter, the one who denied him? There's this, oh man, I'm unworthy, I'm broken. I'm, I did the worst thing possible to the one I loved most. And he goes back to fishing. To uh, illustrate the point of going back to fishing, I'm actually going to steal something that I heard from Reed years ago when he was teaching with our youth. And to illustrate this point, I want to introduce you guys to two characters who are the worst villains in cinematography history. All right? Can we get the photo? Timon and Pumbaa from The Lion King. And some of you might be saying, what? These guys are awesome, right? They're singing, they're fun, they're friends. They are the worst villains in that story because Hakuna Matata is the enemy. What does it mean? Hakuna Matata means no worries, right? 
Simba was supposed to be a lion king, right? Name of the movie. He's the king. And what does he turn into when he hangs out with these guys? He's hiding in the woods, eating bugs. That's not what a lion does. That's not what a lion's supposed to be. No worries. Hakuna Matata just means he's avoiding it. He's playing it safe. He's running from his troubles. He's hiding. He's doing something he can control. Being a king's hard. He's afraid that he screwed up. His dad's dead. All these different things, right? Like Hakuna Matata. Don't live that life. Going back to Peter. In verse 3. So they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net onto the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing a net full of fish for they couldn't, for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards. <clears throat> when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Hopefully now you guys see why we went back to the story in Luke. Very familiar, right? Peter's the expert fisherman, and he's failing at it. They caught no fish. Him and his best friends, and they're out there fishing nothing. And Jesus shows up again, the carpenter turned teacher, now a resurrected king, still a better fisherman than Peter. Go throw your net on the other side, and this huge amount of fish. And as I've been reading through this story for the past couple of weeks, there's this moment that just sticks out to me so often. And it makes me emotional. You have this moment where as soon as Peter realizes that it's Jesus, it is the Lord. It is Jesus. He jumps in the water. There, he wants to get to Jesus as quick as he possibly can. This guy hurt Jesus. He abandoned him. He left him alone. He denied him. And despite all of that, Peter still desperately loves Jesus. He has to know. He has to know how bad he screwed up. And he knows that he still needs Jesus. I imagine him screaming, Jesus, and just diving in, and as fast as he can swim, he's there, right at Jesus' feet. He doesn't want to miss out. This story is just different because he pursues Jesus. 
Because at this point, he doesn't just know of Jesus, he knows Jesus personally. He knows that he needs him. And Jesus this time also, he pulls these guys in and he has breakfast with them. When Jesus first calls him in Luke, it's a little bit more of like the teacher, this big guy. Yeah, yeah, come follow me. And it's tender and it's sweet, but it's still student teacher. And at this moment, Jesus reunites with these guys by making them breakfast. When was the last time you guys had breakfast with other people? Most of the time, it's either family or really close friends, right? It's an intimate, close time where we know the people we're sitting across from, that we're starting our day with people. And Jesus starts this day with these guys cooking for them. It's not even like, I think some people I've heard, you know, Jesus snaps his fingers and there's a little fire and there's fish and that kind of thing. No, I think Jesus cooked them breakfast because Jesus loved these guys. He's sitting there while they're out and he's like, oh man, this is going to blow their minds. You know, he's cooking them breakfast. And again, imagine that tension as Peter's sitting there next to Jesus again. The last time that Jesus had a meal with Jesus was the Last Supper, where Peter was like, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. You're going to deny me. That's the last time he's eaten with Jesus. So he's sitting down having breakfast with Jesus, knowing he's screwed up. Imagine that tension. Knowing how desperately you need Jesus, enough to dive off that boat and go swimming for shore, but also knowing how bad you've screwed up. Continuing in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Where else have we seen the repetition of three in this story? In Peter's denial. Jesus is actively redeeming Peter. You denied me three times? Well, I'm going to give you a chance three times to say that you love me. I'm going to give you a chance three times to recognize that you do love me. And guys, Peter loved Jesus. He really did. But he was broken and he was sinful and he failed at it. I love my wife, Casey, so much. And anybody who knows us knows that that's true of me, right? But I don't always act like it. I don't always succeed at being a loving husband. And she can tell you, but she's super kind, so she probably won't. 
depending on the day, how good I've been. Peter failed at loving Jesus, but that doesn't mean he didn't love him. He desperately loved him. He knew him well, and he knew that he needed him. Jesus also promotes Peter in this conversation. He redeems him. He redeems the brokenness. He redeems the denial, and then he promotes him. He doesn't just say, hey, I know you love me. Kind of pull it in, brother. We got it. We're good. He says, hey, feed my sheep. So at the beginning of the story in Luke, Jesus made him a fisher of men, and now he's making him a shepherd. And for those of us, I don't know any professional fishermen or any professional shepherds, so it's a little bit of a weird analogy for, for us who aren't living in that time and in that context. But think about it this way. Fishermen, they gather things, right? They're gathering fish all day long. They're pulling them in by the numbers. And that's what Peter had been involved with, with Jesus. He had been fishing for men. He had been pulling people in. The whole come and see that we've been talking about for the past few weeks was what Peter was involved with. People, come and see. Come and see what Jesus is doing. Come and see what God is doing. And now, Jesus is saying, okay, you're still bringing people in, but now you're a shepherd. Shepherds don't just go out and gather a bunch of sheep. They start out with some sheep, and they protect them, and they guard them, and they grow them. Jesus isn't saying, oh, just gather. He's saying, now I am handing over my most prized possession to you, Peter. Jesus talks about how he is the good shepherd, and we are the sheep. Those who belong to Jesus are his sheep. And Jesus is entrusting Peter with his sheep. His most important item in this world is those who follow him. And so, even though Peter has failed, he still gets the promotion. Jesus still wants to use him because, again, he's honest about his brokenness. And finally, Jesus reinstates Peter with an invitation Follow me. It's no longer come and see. It says, follow me. Be a part of what I'm doing. Take some ownership in this. Lay down your life. So what can we learn from this story this morning? What is in it for us as we read through John and it ends this way? The last few verses are Peter or John, the writer, basically saying who he is. So the story kind of ends right here with Jesus telling Peter, come follow me. As we've gone through this book of John, there's probably many, many different things that we can take away. But as we go through this story, I would suggest that there's three different things we can pull. And the first is brokenness is a prerequisite. And even more directly, honesty of our brokenness is a prerequisite. Peter is used most powerfully by Jesus when he's honest about his brokenness, when he's humble. The truth is we are all broken, horribly, horribly broken. And we know it. If we're honest, we know it. We're not always doing the things we should be doing. We're not always acting the way we should or loving people the best way we can. But the truth is Jesus says, yep, I know that. I made you. I know that. I've been with you. I know that. And he says, come. Your brokenness, perfect. You're humble. I can use that. 
Come be a part of what I'm doing. We talk about here at the vessel, we want to be vessels of the living Christ set apart for his kingdom. If we're truly going to be those vessels for God, we need to be honest about our brokenness and recognize his sufficiency. You see, Peter's brokenness wasn't where the story ended. It was where Jesus filled in. When Peter failed, Jesus stepped up. Where Peter was broken, Jesus healed. The honesty of brokenness is an invitation for Jesus to come and step in the gap. And we need to have that in our lives. I think the second thing we can pull from this story is that we shouldn't go back to fishing. Don't go back to fishing. Hakuna Matata, don't do it, all right? No bugs in the forest. We are called to a greater purpose. God has invited us into his kingdom. The come and see, the come be a part of what I'm doing is extended to all of us. And for some of us, maybe we've never taken that invitation and we never left fishing. We're just living where we're comfortable. We're just living in the jungle eating bugs and we think that's how we're supposed to be. And it's not. It's not where we're supposed to be. God has so much more purpose for us. Things that are bigger than we can do on our own. If Peter was just a fisherman, we would have never heard about Peter, the fisherman, son of John. It would have been this poor guy living out in the Middle East in the first century, fished for his whole life and died, and that would have been the end of it. The end. That would have been it. But instead, Jesus called him to so much more. And now we know of Peter, the son of John, who established the church. That we are here meeting this way because God did something through Peter. I know that sometimes we have repeated brokenness or sin in our lives. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's just this thing that we can't break in ourselves, whether we have struggles with anger or struggles with loving people well, whatever those things are. And if you're pursuing Jesus, it can seem like you just constantly are failing, that you're not good enough. Why can't I beat this thing? Why can't I be better? And that can break you down to the point where you give up. And you'll just go back to fishing. Well, I'm not qualified I'll leave that to the pastors. I'll leave that to the people who've got this figured out. I'll just kind of sit on the sidelines and I'll be comfortable and I won't get in anybody's way because I obviously am not good enough for this. Don't believe that lie. That's not true. You are perfect the way that God has made you and he wants to use you through your brokenness, through the things that you feel like you just can't beat. Sometimes there's struggles that last for long periods of time because Jesus is going to use that in powerful ways in other people's lives. He's calling us to trust him. So don't believe the lie that you're not good enough or that you've failed too much and go back to fishing. Go back to the sidelines. Go back to being comfortable. That's not what Jesus has for us. He has so much more in store. Do you love Jesus? Then follow him. And the last point is kind of the um, development of what we've been talking about. And I'll invite the worship team to come back up. We've been talking for now 11 weeks about Jesus' invitation to people when he was doing his ministry and to us today to come and see. 
And at the end of the story, we can see that that develops, that that matures. It's no longer come see, it's follow me. And I wish it didn't rhyme because that sounds like such a cheesy teaching thing, and I get that, but it's just how it's written in the text and I couldn't figure out another way to say it. (laughs) But come and see turns into follow me. That come and see is a great invitation. And what Jake was just talking about, about handing those cards to people, please do that. Let's be inviting people to come and see who Jesus is because he's incredible. He's powerful. He's loving. He is life-altering. And through this whole story, we've seen Jesus inviting people, come and see what I'm up to. Come and see who I am. Come and see what I'm going to do in your life. But there's a certain point where you've seen. There's a certain point where you know who Jesus is. And for some of us, that might take a little while. We might have to be looking for a bit. For some of us, it might be that instantaneous moment that Peter had on a boat where he's like, oh, wow. But either way, there's a certain point where we've seen. And you have to make a choice. There's that second invitation that Jesus gives Peter at the end of this story. Come, follow me. Following takes a lot more work than just seeing. It means changing the way you live. You can't just look from a distance anymore, but you have to be close. You gotta be so close you get the dust of Jesus' feet up on your face and your hair because you're following so close as he's walking. That's the invitation to us. We've seen, we've seen a lot. We've seen a lot in this church. We've seen a lot in the scriptures as we've been going through it. Jesus is extending that offer of come be a follower. As we close, I want to end just with letting you guys know how it ends for Peter. And some of you may already know this. Jesus ascends into heaven after commissioning his disciples to go and build the church. And we can read a lot of the story of Peter in Acts where he does that. And God does powerful, amazing things through Peter. He shares the gospel. He grows the church. Thousands of people become followers of Jesus. Miracles happen. And we know from history and other documents and people recording things, most likely we know how the life of Peter ended. There was a Roman emperor named Nero, and he was actively persecuting the church, the Christians. He was trying to get rid of them. There was this little thing that started and was growing throughout the empire and threatened to overthrow the Roman religious system that had the emperor at the top. And as a result, he went and he found Peter, and Peter was arrested and crucified. Peter did die for Jesus. Peter followed through. He knew that he needed to trust Jesus this time. And because of it, the persecution that resulted in Peter's death grew the church again. When we're broken, Jesus wants to use us. We just have to be honest about it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you call us to a life of following you. That it's a lot more than just being present and just seeing and being comfortable. Lord, would you keep us from hakuna matata? (laughs) Would you keep us from pursuing no worries, but instead worrying about the things that you are concerned with? being focused on the things that you are calling us to. Jesus, you are good and you are faithful. 
Allow us to see that more clearly every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.